Hello and welcome to Football Scotland Daily, the podcast that brings you all the big news, analysis and debate Monday to Friday, just in time for your daily commute. My name is Adam Miller and we're joined today by Chris Doyle, who's been thrown into the white-hot atmosphere of the third day after the football season ended to make his Football Scotland Daily debut. Remember, Chris, play the absence of any major news stories, not the occasion. Taking him through every minute of this nerve-wracking occasion will be Football Scotland Daily regular and Kelly man Gaby Mackay, who's currently working through the bargaining stage of Kubler-Ross's five stages of Steve Clark grief model. <laughs> On today's show, we'll be talking about a fantastic night for Shelley Kerr's World Cup heroes, asking if the failure that is Kyle Lafferty's second spell at Ibrox is karma for the unironic mullet he sported during his first spell, waving goodbye to Emilio Izaguirre, and asking what areas Reno Gattuso will need to strengthen when he takes over at Rugby Park. So, we're joined by Chris and Gaby, and the first thing we're going to talk about today is Shelley Kerr's World Cup heroes. Now, obviously, last night, Scotland beat Jamaica 3-2, but in the scheme of things, the occasion was of more significance than the result. A record attendance of 18,555 attended the National Stadium, waving the team off before they go to the World Cup in France. We had distinguished, respected personalities like Nicola Sturgeon, Steve Clark and Judy Murray in attendance. Malky Mackay was there too. Gaby, what does last night tell you about where the women's game is in Scotland right now? Uh, I think it tells us that there's a lot of excitement ahead of the World Cup. There was uh, a big crowd that was close to or above 20,000, which... You know, if you think just a few years ago for a women's game, I remember there being a women's game at Far Park with about, what, 900 for, I think, the Scottish Women's Cup final. So it shows you that there have been uh, big, it's come on big leaps and bounds in that sense. Uh, I think people are taking it a lot more seriously now, and rightly so. I said on the podcast yesterday, uh, I'm not an expert on women's football, but I'm looking forward to learning a lot more about the team uh, at the tournament this summer. Uh I have to confess I didn't see the game last night, I've only seen the highlights, but this is not a proper football man point, I was in fact watching a musical. And what musical were you watching? It was Green Day's American Idiot. Right, can that be technically classed as a musical? I guess there's music. There's music, there's dancing, there might have been a jazz hand. (laughs) So maybe not like in the pantheon of sort of It was my first musical, you know, I'm I'm easing myself in. Right, okay, and uh, how did it go, how did the musical pan out? Uh, it was musical, the, there was an intermission, and uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. So it's basically a musical for people that go to the cat house? Basically. Yes, that's right. exactly what it is. Right, okay. Getting back to the women's game, Chris, from what you've watched of the game and just uh, in general, the, the atmosphere at the, the stadium, what do you think the, the mood's going to be going into the World Cup? I think positive. Uh, the last record attendance for women's game, I think, was 4,000 for one of the qualifiers. So the fact that's went up to nearly 20, I mean, that's quite a big jump. Uh, but I think the team itself, they deserve all the sort of praise they're getting because they're playing really great football. Last night, they looked a bit weak at the back, which is a bit of a sort of worry going into the tournament. But going forward, they play some great football. They have some really talented players, Erin Cuthbert. What a strike that was uh, yeah. her for that yeah. goal. And do you know what? Like She's in the semi-final of the Champions League up against Leon. I think they went out. But she was she was named in the, the team of the tournament for, for the Champions League, I think. And it's got the goal, goal of the season. So and she's only 20 years old. But, so we really yeah. have a promising player on our hands. And I think she's just got that sense of, um, you know, that low centre of gravity that she can just 
like as a striker and she's just some really exciting to watch. I'm not sure if someone really in the men's game, you know, you have someone like that. So I think that's kind of why um, fans are getting behind the team because they're really exciting to watch. So I think it's just in a really good position into the World Cup and I think they'll just, that'll continue to grow and I think a lot of people will tune into it, which is just really good for Scottish football. Yeah, excellent free kick from Caroline Weir as well. Um, obviously, there is, at this at this time, you could say that the women's game in Scotland is having a moment that massive attendance last night, the fact that the game was even being held at Hamden. There's three big games coming up against England, Japan and Argentina. Um, the big question then is, once this, once the World Cup ends, how do they build on that momentum? How do they keep people's interests? I think if you look around the world, I think the women's game in general is having a bit of a moment. I think that they played the Women's FA Cup final, was it Wembley, wasn't it? Got a big attendance. Uh, the Juventus women sold out the Juventus Stadium. The Atletico Madrid women sold out the, I can't remember the name of the stadium they placed the Calder on, their new stadium, whatever it's called. Um, so I think in general, women's football is having a bit of a moment. I think you're seeing a lot more of the world's biggest clubs. Manchester United have uh, introduced a women's team recently. Juventus have introduced a women's team recently. Uh so I think it's more, not necessarily keeping people's interest just in Scotland. I think it's just more capitalising on what seems to be a bit of a, a bit of a wave of yeah. in women's football at the moment. Yeah. Excellent. Okay. So we're going to move on now to Kyle Lafferty, a man immune to spoiler alerts because they usually involve words. A man who probably needs to watch a YouTube tutorial before putting on Velcro shoes. The man brutally assaulted by fresh air in front of horrified bystander Charlie Mulgrew. So he made a strong start to the season with the winning goal for Hearts against Celtic at Tynecastle, and soon after he rejoined Rangers for a second spell, but it's not panned out for him. He's only had seven starts since then. He's made a total of 37 appearances, scoring seven goals. It's not quite what he would have had in mind when he rejoined Rangers. There's reports today linking him with a move to Apollon Limassol in Cyprus. Gabriel, are you surprised it hasn't worked out for Lafferty at Rangers this time? Yeah, I think... I think there was a lot, but you know, when he went back, I think people thought that it would be, you know, he would just slot right in. He's been at Rangers before. He'd done well at Hearts the previous season. It was seen as very much a, you know, as much as any transfer involving Kyle Lafferty can be seen as sensible, it was seen <laughs> as a very sort of sensible thing, and it just hasn't happened for him at all. I think Gerard has none too subtly criticised him. Uh, he's been left on the bench for almost the entire second half of the season, and I think it really hasn't worked out uh, on his return. What about yourself, Chris? Yeah, I think it's been a really a bad career move for them. I think he would, if he was still at Hearts with obviously Naismith going out, they've had injuries up top. He'd probably would have played a lot more games. Obviously, he didn't know Defoe was going to come in in January, and obviously he's going to be getting his minutes. But going forward, like he's obviously got a year left, I think, of his deal to twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could really just see. I don't think Gerard fancies him at all, um, and he's not. I don't think he's going to be the the, the type um, sort of in training kind of given. 110% trying to kind of force his, force his way into Gerard's plans. And I just think I could maybe see maybe Dapo and Booty, Glenn Middleton, like youngsters mm-hmm. like that, more likely to get his minutes next season. So I think it's just, yeah, I'm not that surprised to see him linked with like a move somewhere sort of, sort of um, a minnow or whatever in Europe, because I just, he's not, he's, he's just not hit the heights we've, we expected, I guess, coming from, ha- he, he did well at heart, so. Well, do you think right now, with the benefit of hindsight, if Lafferty, knowing, as you suggest, as you mentioned, that Naismith had those injury problems this season, do you think Lafferty would look back and go, do you know, should have probably stuck it out at hearts this season? 
Yes, definitely, because I think it's not even on a, a sort of a, well, his, he's getting on a bit in his career, so you could be thinking, like, you know, your next step, you need to be thinking, like, what's the right one for me? And even he was in the Northern Ireland setup as well, and I think he had a sort of a wee tiff with Michael O'Neill where he pulled out sort of the night before, so I don't think it's even worked out well, well for him sort of on the international front as well, so... I would say, yeah, I think he's going to be looking back thinking, yeah, maybe that wasn't a great move. But obviously the lure of coming of coming back to his former club was sort of, that would that, it seemed good at the time, didn't it? So I think he's had, he's had tiffs with a few people down the years. I mean, I've uh, brought in one of my favourite quotes from uh, Palermo president Maurizio Zamparini talking about Lafferty. He said, after he left Palermo in 2014, He's an out-of-control womanizer, an Irishman without rules. He is someone who disappears for a week and goes on the hunt for women in Milan. He never trains. He's completely off the rails. In terms of his behaviour, he's uncontrollable. Was there any bad stuff? <laughs> <laughs> well, now, to be fair to Kyle Lafferty, Zamperini is known for uh, being a little bit of a, a firebrand, should we say, a bit of a controversial character. So I have prepared today a little game that you two are going to play, right. I've decided this, Okay. Um, which I like to call Zamperini or Romanov. <laughs> Can't wait for this. Yeah, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read out three quotes by each man, but I'm not going to tell you which I'm going to give you, so you get three each, and you have to guess who said the following quote, was it former Palermo owner Maurizio Zamperini, or was it former Hearts owner Vladimir Romanov? Former Palermo what, sorry? Owner. Did you? I thought you used some kind of Italian term there, did you not? No, no. I didn't, no. Or I just always assume you're using some kind of... Well, Italian yes, I am as... cultured in that way, but yeah. no, I didn't. I think <laughs> I said owner. If I didn't, well, uh, the listeners will decide. And obviously, you can play along with the game at home. So, right. Adam, you can't, I'll go to you first. Okay. First quote. This is after sacking a manager. He has gone mad. Is an owner not allowed to say anything about his team anymore? It's madness. He's an idiot who makes his team play badly. Romanov? That was Zamperini. Chris, I'm going to go to you. As soon as we move closer to third spot, the monkeys start to squeal. Right, I'm going to go Romanov. Correct, Romanov. That's (laughs) 1-0 to Chris. Adam, which person said this following quote? Longing to be with her, he puffs out his chest (laughs) to be number one in this boggy kingdom. Um. Um, it sounds like something from a Goosebumps book. Um, I'll say Zamperini, surely. No, that incorrect again. <laughs> no way. That is from no the way. that is from the poem "The Frog" by Vladimir Romanov. So you you can't just leave that out there. You, there, there needs to be some back. You, the poem "The Frog." Yeah, Vladimir Romanov. I, I did. I'm not going to read the whole thing because uh, I didn't print it off. But right, it's okay. a bit. Vladimir Romanov wrote a poem called "The Frog," which I think may not have survived the translation from Russian. <laughs> so so does, does he have any other works? Um, like that? I don't know. I'll have to look into that. Uh, oh. So Chris is to take a two 0 lead. Who oh, said God. this? When a lost goat wanders into your cabbage patch, <laughs> you must not let him make a mess of the cabbages, but instead you must throw him three carrots so that he can find his way home. I'm going to go Zamperini. Incorrect. Romanov, it remains 1-0 to Chris. Adam, who said this about one of their players? It makes me want to cry every time he doesn't play. Oh, uh, uh, Romanov. Incorrect. <laughs> we are terrible at I'm like the Dundee United of Romanov yeah. quotes. <laughs> All right, Chris, once again for a 2 0 lead. Who said the following quote? 
I will cut off their testicles and eat them in my salad. Hmm. Jim Goodwin. <laughs> <laughs> Correct, Chris. That's 2-0. Yeah. You win. That was indeed Maurizio Zamperini talking about the 2003 Palermo squad. There was a bonus round, but Adam hasn't managed no. to get on the board. The bonus <laughs> round was going to be, who said the following quote? Either you can jump in as, I might punch the referee or someone else. Zamperini. Incorrect. That was wrong enough. <laughs> That is uh, Zamperini did, however, say that we should put all referees in prison. Ah, okay. That must have been the quote I was thinking all yeah. the time. So let us know at home how you got on with that game. Excellent. So we're now going to move on to Emilio Izagiri, who has rejected a new deal at Celtic in favour of a move to the MLS. Chris, what did you make of his second spell at Celtic? Well, I was surprised when he when he came back, uh, to be honest, but he did serve a purpose because if with Kieran Tierney's injuries, he's Obviously, I played a lot more than I think Celtic fans would have thought he would. But overall, I think his sort of performances just, they've not been great. He just looks like a kind of shadow of the player he did when he was here in his first spell. Obviously, one of the sort of player of the year accolades. Then went on to get a nasty injury, I think, the year after that. Just wasn't really the same after that. And I think for Celtic to offer him another deal, um, sort of an extended 12 months, that was quite surprising. Um but for him to reject it, I mean, yeah, so I'm not really sure where that leaves Celtic. I think they're going to have to get some some cover in, not just the left-back position, but full-backs in general. Well, obviously, he's uh, recently had the operation, Kieran Tierney, and the aim will clearly be for him to come back fresher and fitter next season. Mm-hmm. Um, as you suggested, though, Celtic are short of cover at left-back. How did they go about finding an understudy for him? Well, I think it's important that they don't run... Tierney into the ground which I think they've been kind of guilty of this year because he's been out for various injuries and they've kind of just brought him back too early and they've kind of delayed that surgery when they could have really just he could have done it earlier I think um, so you've obviously got that Andrew Gutman, Manny Pérez they're, they're on loan at the moment uh, stateside, I don't know what Neil Lennon's plans are with them but they're more projects um, there's Calvin Miller, he even sometimes plays kind of as a left wing and it's not really worked out with him so I would I would like them to see kind of get a more established left back in just to sort of yeah as that understudy but someone who also is kind of quite experienced enough who can fill in and really give Celtic a good sort of presence and I don't think Gaby's going to like this but I mean what about somebody like Greg Taylor? Gaby? No. (laughs) (laughs) I knew that wouldn't go down well but you know not necessarily him but Someone I think they do need to bring in because Tierney is it's a bit of a worry this year that he's kind of those injuries because he'd never really shown it before and you need to be careful with him because he's Celtic's, well, best player maybe. Yeah, and if you've got a player who's got a serious injury like that, you can't have the backup to him be Johnny Hayes and the idea oh, yeah, of there's, Emilio There's Izaguirre. Hayes as well, but that's not his position, I don't think. No, I mean, you he's, said... He's that, in oh, I agree. Well. I mean, you said Izaguirre served a purpose. He served the purpose of making Celtic fans go, hmm, you know, Johnny Hayes isn't that bad a left-back. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And there was the game, even the game against, I think, Valencia at home um, where he kind of made two mistakes um, that kind of... Uh, the home leg, yeah, just for it kind of caused Celtic really to go out um, of the sort of Europa League. I mean, I think that kind of showed everyone that he's not really at that level anymore. So, yeah, I do think they're going to need some re- reinforcements to that position. In terms of Tierney, obviously, he's achieved a lot domestically with Celtic. Um, he's been an integral part of the team that's achieved this treble treble. He's living his boyhood dream of playing for the club that he loves and he's adored by the Celtic fans. He's a big hero among them and he could 
go on to be that guy for years to come. Is there a point, though, where Tierney looks, Gaby, at someone like Andy Robertson? Obviously, those two are competing for the same position within the national setup. A couple of years ago, you might have looked at them and thought they were roughly comparable. Obviously, and this is no reflection on Tierney, just a reflection on the incredible progress that Robertson's made. Robertson has now become one of the best players in his position in the entire world. And as as consistent and as impressive a player as Tierney is, you wouldn't say the same thing about him. If there was an offer, if you were Kieran Tierney and there was an offer from a team in the top half of the English Premier League, would you say, no, I'm a Celtic man, this is me for the rest of my career or for the foreseeable future? Or would you think, if I want to reach that Andrew Robertson level, this is the step I need to take? Yeah, I think that I think absolutely. If you if Kieran Tierney wants to progress as a player and fulfil his undoubted potential, I think eventually he is going to have to move on from Celtic. If you look at guys like Scott Brown, Barry Ferguson, it's very easy, it's very comfortable. I'm sure very enjoyable to be a big fish in a small pond. But if you want to develop, you have to go to that higher level and test yourself week in week out against better players. You know, if Celtic. If they're lucky, we'll get six Champions League group games a year. And the rest of the time, they'll be playing against teams. And this isn't a knock on the teams they're playing. They have much smaller budgets, but they'll be playing against teams who are nowhere near that level. And I don't think that's conducive to improving as a player. You only only improve by playing against better players, by testing yourself. In any discipline, if you're not testing yourself, you're not going to improve. Uh, I'm not saying that he should necessarily move on this summer. Uh, He's got that operation he needs to come back from. He's still a young man. But I think he, if he wants to fulfil the potential that we all know he has, he is eventually going to have to move on and play at a higher level and a higher standard of league. And as someone who's intimately acquainted with Steve Clark and... Well, as someone who's intimately acquainted with the way that Steve Clark sets his teams up, um, with Robertson being the Scotland captain, do you think he's going to ask Robertson to change anything about the way he plays? Do you think... With Robertson being the star player in that team, Clark is the type of guy who would build a team around someone, or is it a case of Robertson has to fit in with how Clark plays? Uh, I think it's a little bit of both. I don't think you've seen him play in the same way he plays at Liverpool with the really intense pressing style, uh, pushing high up all over the pitch, really being one. I mean, if you look at Liverpool, he's probably one of the two main attacking outlets with uh, Alexander Arnold on the other side. I don't think you're going to see that from Scotland purely because Scotland aren't as good the playing against teams better than them he doesn't have as good players around him so he's not going to be able to do that role in in the same way I mean it's a, I think we could all agree it's slightly different uh playing alongside Mohamed Salah or Stephen Fletcher you know who oh admittedly isn't in the squad so no I think he'll have a different role for Scotland I think he'll probably be asked to be a little bit more not diligent defensively because I'm not saying he's bad defensively for Liverpool but I don't think you'll see him bombing on in the same way that you do for Liverpool because it's just because simply I don't think Scotland have the players to do that. I don't think uh, the teammates around him are good enough to sort of allow him to to express himself in the same way he does at Liverpool, which I think can be a problem with Scotland. You see players come into Scotland uh, and being asked to play a very different role. I mean, you look at Dan Fletcher when he was in his prime at Manchester United. He was wonderful with what he did at Manchester United, which was break up the play, make tackles, pass it sideways. When he came into Scotland, people see him playing in the Champions League and he was suddenly expected to be, you know, this creative force, this sort of pale Pirlo. And that was never, ever his forte. And it made him look worse for Scotland. If you talk to people, they'll say, oh, Dan Fletcher never performed for Scotland. But I think that's because he was being asked to do a job that was just not uh, within his skill set. Yep. And just one last point on Izagiri. Now that he's finished up his time at Celtic, what do you think his legacy will be with the club? What will 
people remember him for? Well, I think um, it might be a wee bit tarnished in terms of, not tarnished because that's a bit of too, too harsh a word, but coming back hasn't really helped because it's a recency bias, isn't it? You know, they're going to be thinking he's came back and he's just been a bit part, bit part player. Um, but really, when he's won all those sort of those honours with with uh, with Celtic both personally and obviously as a team, so I think overall, like he will go down as a good player, but not really like that higher sort of echelon of sort of you know as a legend or whatever. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but overall, I think he was he's been a great servant for Celtic, and I'm sure the fans wish him all the best. But it's I don't think it's really worked out since he's came back. Um, <laughs> And I don't think they'll be too disappointed that he's he's rejected that deal because I think it's kind of just time for both players to move on. I think so, yeah. So, according to McBookie, someone requested a price today for Reno Gattuso as Kilmarnock manager. And because this is the way the modern world works, he is now 16-1 to 1 for the job. Gaby, as a Kilmarnock fan and also a former Football Italia writer, this should be right up your street. What will Gattuso bring to the job, which he's definitely getting? Well, I, I think it's, it's obvious he's getting it. He wants to complete the great cultural trail of Pisa, Milan, Kilmarnock. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, look, I, we can all we can probably say on this podcast it's very unlikely Gattuso will get the job. You're willing to put your neck in the line. I'm willing to, that, although yeah. he did apply for the Hamilton job uh, before he was at Milan. His wife's Scottish, so yeah. you know, I, never say never. I would, I would doubt it, but. Let's be fair, it would be great for us because he's mad. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's, he's done a decent job in certain places. He got Pisa promoted and he almost kept them in Serie B despite uh, a financial crisis, which would later see them go bankrupt. So he has done a decent job places. He got sacked by Palermo. But as we discussed Was in a previous Zampari? section, <laughs> yes, everyone gets sacked by Palermo. <laughs> but the main point is, you know, we're all about the pattern in Scottish football and he's a lunatic. I mean, if you've ever read Andrea Pirlo's autobiography, and if you haven't, I really recommend it. He tells all these stories about, you know, he played with Gattuso for many years, that he used to eat snails on the training ground. He used to stab his teammates with forks uh, during lunch. So apparently in the mid-noughties, the code, if Milan had a player out injured with muscular fatigue, uh, what that actually meant was he was stabbed with a fork by (laughs) Reno Gattuso. Uh, And there's a great video online from, I think, when he was at Pisa, I think it was when they were in the playoff to get promoted to Serie B, of him just slapping his assistant around the face. Uh, There's the famous uh, press conference he did when he was at Crete, uh, which has become a bit of a meme, where he's speaking (laughs) in a mixture of English, Italian, and the one Greek swear word he knows, which, so I won't repeat the famous quote, but I'm sure everyone knows it. First so, part's a little bit good. Sometimes maybe good, sometimes maybe, and then yeah, yes. Yeah. Uh, so, will Reno Gattuso get the commandant job? No, almost certainly not. But would we like to see it? Yes. Please God, let that happen. So that's the Andrea Pirlo book, I think, therefore I play, as opposed to the Kyle Lafferty book, I think I play. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, staying with you, Gaby, as our Kelly man, if by some unlikely set, of unfortunate circumstances the Gattuso move falls through who would you like to see taken over from Stephen Clark now I've got the latest odds in front of me and that includes Roberto Di Matteo at 3-1 to one, Paul Clement at 4-1 to one, Gary Holt 5-1 to one, Alex Dyer 7-1 to one, Gus Poy 10-1 to one, with Jack Ross Craig Dargo 12-1 to one, and Ali McCoist at 16-1 to one. I think a lot of that shows how uh, silly bookie odds are because Alex Dyer has already been confirmed as staying as the assistant. He's also going to be part-time assistant to Steve Clark with Scotland, so we know for a fact he's not going to be getting the job. 
Uh, I think of the names on that list, uh, Di Matteo, I think, is probably a bit uh, unlikely. I think that's another one where people have seen odd shot and start putting bets on. He won Champions League with Chelsea. He was at Schalke. I think he'd probably be out of the, the price range. Paul Clement, I think, would be an interesting one. He's got a similar profile to Clark did when... Uh, to the profile Clark had when he came in, uh, worked with a lot of good coaches. Uh, he was been at West Brom. I do always think because of his second name, I always read it as Paul Clement. Just because uh, <laughs> I was looking at it, I was like, "We're definitely Clement with this, aren't we?" Yeah, yeah no, he <laughs> yeah. is. He's, he's a sort of Cockney geezer, but just because yeah. you know he was at PSG and Bayern with Ancelotti, I always yeah. think his name's going to be Paul Clement. I think he'd be interesting. I think much as everybody has a lot of affection for Ali McCoyst, I don't think he go down well. You've made a, a generalisation there. A lot of people have affection for Ali McCoyst, but you know, yes. search his name on Twitter. It's not well, always the case. Right, yes. Okay, I, with the caveat, yeah, okay, a lot of people have uh, affection for Ali McCoyst. Uh, Gary Holt is Kelly fan, Kelly legend. He's done well with Livingston. I think, though, he'd be a bit of a, of a, a downgrade on Steve Clark, although I'm sure probably anyone would be. Billy Bowie said yesterday I think that he was looking for a candidate with with experience you know it's a big season for for Kelly coming off third they're going to be in Europe they're going to have another competition to deal with so they can't be they can't be taking a risk on someone who might turn out to be good uh you know a sort of younger manager a promising manager they want someone with a lot of know-how and experience uh so yeah the names on the list I think you'd take you take Paul Clement I think is an interesting one given because I don't think Di Matteo is likely I don't think Poi is likely, although like Gattuso, he's also mental, so that might be a might be a good one. But yeah, I'd say of 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 the list you've given me there, I'd say Paul Clement would be an interesting shout. So Chris, if say it was Paul Clement that was to take that was to take the job, do you think people would now look at where Steve Clark's reputation? I mean, Steve Clark was well thought of, and people were delighted when he got the job anyway. But his reputation has grown and grown over a relatively short period of time in charge of commanding to the point that he was with the public, the unanimous choice to be the Scotland manager. It's the first time in so many years that everyone's been able to agree that they were happy with the name that the SFA chose for that job. Do you think someone like, say, Paul Clement... It's easily done. <laughs> easily done. Do you think that someone like Paul Clement would look at that job and think, Steve Clark, I've watched what he managed to achieve there in such a short period of time, the way his stature has grown that is now a more attractive job than it would have been a couple of years ago. I'm not sure. I just think that Kilmarnock's success is a lot down to Steve Clark with what he's done. Um, they were in, they were not in a good position when he came in, and he's managed to turn it around. And I just don't know how, if they have the sort of sort of the foundation to sort of stay up there as like a sort of top four, sort of top five team, like maybe Aberdeen or whatever. Um, but certainly, finishing third isn't going to hurt them. Sort of getting with the names you, I mean, De Matteo, Champions League winner. I mean, the fact that's three to one is quite crazy. But I'm not quite sure who they're really going to get. I think it's it's more likely to be sort of a manager that's sort of like Premiership experience in Scotland already. They're going to be getting. I'm not quite sure they're going to be getting someone maybe sort of if, if it's from England or abroad. Um, yeah, Steve Clark just did a remarkable job. So much so that he was. Pretty much in line. Don't you think managers are, well? are, by their definition, egotistical, and they'll look at the job Steve Clark did and the recognition it got him, and they'll back themselves to do it. I mean, you look at any any manager; they'll always back themselves going into a situation that they can do a job as well or better as someone else. So, 
I, I agree with you about what you're saying. The command don't have the, the budget or the fan base or the infrastructure that you know a team like Aberdeen or Hearts or Hibs do. They can't expect to finish third every year, but I do think that it makes them... The fact they finished third and Clark's reputation has been burnished so much does make them more attractive than they were yeah. when Clark came in, which was you know bottom of the league with... Definitely, no. And um, they've not really lost any of their, their players either from last year. I mean, so the sort of the spine of the team's still there. So I think that's lucrative in terms of manager coming in. You know there's a squad that already play well together. So you maybe make a few additions and then, you know, so... Yeah, and the backroom team's going to be much the same. Dyer's staying, the goalkeeper coach is staying, so it's basically just going to be the manager that changes. So you're slotting in to a setup that's already in place and already a successful sort of setup. Yep. Yeah, it's just difficult to see how they may, may might sustain that. So like maybe sort of in terms of maybe something like Aberdeen have done where they've stayed up there sort of for a good spell. Um, so it's it might it's a it's a difficult appointment for the sort of hierarchy. You know, it's something they need to get right because the fans are now expecting sort of. Sort of after that, off the Clark era, they're they're thinking they w- in Europe next year. So, I think they need to make a sort of quite a not a statement appointment, but they can't. They need to go forward, not backwards. Yeah, it can't just be from the sort of managerial merry-go-round because it would be so underwhelming. It would take a lot away a lot of the enthusiasm that's been built up at that club uh, over recent months. Definitely. Okay, well that's all from us here at Football Scotland for today. We'll be back tomorrow before four pm, just in time to make your daily work commute that little bit more bearable. You can get more from us at the Football Scotland website or our social media channels on Facebook and Twitter at football underscore Scott. To ask a question or make a comment to us individually, you can get me on at oldfirmfacts1, Gaby on at Gaby McKay and Chris on by Chris Doyle. Until tomorrow, thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.